Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Panraj. In this podcast, we will speak with some of the leading voices in the field of inclusive entrepreneurship and learn from their best practices to apply in our own communities as practitioners. Today, we'll be speaking with Troy Vosseler. Welcome, Troy. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. So, Troy, tell me a little bit about yourself and Generator. You bet. So, I am one of the co-founders of Generator, and um, I kind of got into this through, gosh, I'd say a, a somewhat unique entrepreneurial journey, but but an entrepreneurial journey nonetheless. And you know, oftentimes when I speak to entrepreneurs, I say, you know, it really is about this entrepreneurial career path that you're on. You know, you're not defined by any perhaps one business, one startup that you're starting, but it's it's kind of how do these things parlay from one to the next to the next to the next. And I think my you know coming up story very much echoes that. And and so how how I got started was. Um, I was a freshman at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and I, on my dorm floor, by happenstance, I became friends with a guy, uh, didn't know him before, we had no mutual friends, just pure happenstance that we were paired together on the same dorm floor, but we wanted, we, we slowly realized that we had a, an entrepreneurial bug, you know, we both wanted to be entrepreneurs, we wanted to start a business together, and so that led, this, led us down this kind of fun call it creative path of thinking about, well, what, what are different businesses that we could start? And so uh, we would brainstorm everything from a gasoline delivery service for people with mopeds and scooters that, so that we would come and fill up your moped all the way to an online dating service just for, you know, students at the university. And keep in mind, you know, this is pre-Uber, pre-Facebook, uh, pre-Tinder for a lot of these, those two concepts. But we, we weren't passionate about any of them. And so we would keep going back and brainstorm, brainstorm, brainstorm. You know, finally, we had heard this word used around campus, this, the, and the word was Scani. So Scani was kind of this fun-loving, you know, nickname to refer to people from Wisconsin or anything Wisconsin-esque. So we didn't coin the word. We didn't invent the word. But we saw an opportunity to create a brand around it. And so we launched a t-shirt company. And so my joke, David, is that we started – or I started my entrepreneurial – career path in perhaps the most low-tech, cliche college student business that you can imagine, which was a screen-printed t-shirt company. So we started selling these Scani t-shirts out of our dorm rooms, uh, eventually selling online, eventually selling wholesale to different retailers like the campus bookstore and things of that nature. Um, but nevertheless, you know, we had success with it. And and uh, I still own the own the brand, own the trademark, own the company, um, and, and have a lot of fun with that on the side. But I tell that story because, you know, I mentioned it was the most low tech thing you can imagine. And yet having started that business is what led me down this path where I was now involved in entrepreneurial clubs on campus. I was being invited to alumni gatherings with entrepreneurs. And 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 so different or doors began to open and, uh, you know, different paths opened up in front of me. So uh, jumping forward to kind of what I do today with Generator, I had I had graduated from undergraduate. I at the time thought I wanted to be a lawyer, and my joke is like maybe I just watched too much Law and Order, and I'm obsessed with that. But uh, about halfway through my first semester of law school, I just hated it. I was like, I can't take this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. 
And so from that, I, I explored getting a, an MBA. I was, I was fortunate to be able to do both a JD and an MBA. Uh, and I really liked that combination. I like this intersection of, you know, thinking of yourself as a lawyer or really a counselor to, in this case, entrepreneurs and small business owners, but also having enough business acumen, both kind of formal academic learning that I, I gathered from business school, but really most importantly, the practical on the ground training that I had from this, this t-shirt company that I grew. And I really love that intersection. And so when I graduated from law school, uh, I was hired by the University of Wisconsin Law School to join the faculty. I uh, helped. I was a supervising attorney in a program called the Law and Entrepreneurship Clinic. Uh, so what this clinic was, was it was for upper level law students who would take it as, as four credit coursework. And they would provide free legal services to startups, entrepreneurs, small business owners, uh, and then myself and two others at the time, we were supervising attorneys. So we were licensed attorneys that would oversee the work that they would do with these entrepreneurs. And I, I just love that. I love that aspect of, you know, we're not strictly wearing this legal hat. We're not, we're, we're certainly not operating the business, but we played this really kind of interstitial role between the two, the kind of this liaison between those two. And so from that, I ultimately met my business partner with, uh, for Generator. So uh, his name's Joe Kurgis. Joe was also a lawyer, and at the time, he was representing an angel investor, this high net worth individual who was uh, investing into startups. Some of those initial startups that his client were investing into were startups that were represented by students um, that I supervised in this clinic. So my business partner for Generator, he and I met by working on some mutual transactions together, so both on the startup and the investor side. And from that, you know, we just hit it off personally and professionally. But the real kind of genesis of, of Generator was that we had this shared ground perspective that there just lacked a lot of efficiency for an entrepreneur to go from idea to incorporation to growth to raising venture capital. And we just thought it could all be made much, much more efficient. And, and so that's what led to us starting Generator. And that was in 2012. Wow. I'm going to ask you a question I haven't asked many of our guests, but I'm curious now, given that I am also a founder of a startup and I've had experiences starting businesses. Have you failed at any startup that you've started? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, gosh, what are, what are some examples? Um, I was a partner, again, this goes back to in college where uh, we wanted to build uh, greenhouses on top of supermarket rooftops. So the idea being we could capture the, the excess heat coming off of the building. We could, um, you know, limit the supply chain if you're growing the fresh fruits and vegetables literally upstairs at the grocery store and then sell them down below. You know, so that was a concept that, you know, I'm no longer involved with and, and didn't take off. Um, you know, we tried throughout our years, even at Generator, there's different initiatives that we tried spinning up uh, or even different markets that, you know, for one reason or another, we couldn't get off the ground. But more than anything, I mean, I um, I think there's a benefit of kind of this, this volume approach, meaning we're not we're not foolish. This isn't, you know, I think too often this, the, the phrase like spray and pray when it comes to angel investing, for example, or high volume seed investing, I think that kind of sometimes has a derogatory connotation. I actually think spray and pray can be deliberate. And I think oftentimes what we do as entrepreneurs is calculated risk. It's risky, but it's not, it's not uh, outside the bounds, meaning it's a calculated risk. And by doing so, I think we ultimately find those, those successful paths. And so I, I mean, it's cliche to say I don't have any regrets, but I think everything that, that I've done as an entrepreneur has certainly been a learning experience or been a building block, if you will. 
Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, I have failed in my uh, in a couple of my ventures as well. The biggest one was when I tried to do a handbag business, very much like your t-shirt business. I just couldn't get the unit economics right, uh, and it didn't take off. But it taught me so many lessons, uh, and I think that all your failures kind of are stepping stones to making better decisions mm-hmm. and ultimately creating value and scalable uh, products, right? So uh, I think uh, failure is such a critical part of building successful brands and successful businesses. Uh, So thanks for sharing that. Let me ask you something uh, about Generator because uh, we've heard so much about it in our line of work. And I'm curious to know how the Generator model operates, uh, how big is your uh, scope and reach, And then, of course, if you could also highlight a couple uh, success stories and some failures around the businesses that uh, are part of the generator uh, group of uh, incubators. Yeah, you bet. So I I can start with kind of how we started and then where we've evolved to today. So how we started was a very traditional startup accelerator. So at our core, we we raised a venture capital fund. So we had, uh, again, individuals. And today we have institutions and, um, you know, other venture funds who invest into our funds. Uh, and then we manage that money on their behalf and we invest it into startups who apply for our 12-week accelerator programs. So again, going back nine years, when we started in 2012, we had open applicant call, you know, startups from around the world apply. We had 90 applications for our very first program. So that was the summer of 2012 in Milwaukee. Uh, jumping forward to today, we get over a thousand applications for our accelerator programs, again, from around the world but we've maintained what we call our concierge approach. So at Generator and, and our, our adjacent programs, on average, we only work with five startups per cohort. And for us, a lot of this, this was a design decision because we started in Milwaukee. We started in Madison. We started in these secondary markets. We're not in Silicon Valley. We're not in Chicago. We're not in New York. And so we knew even if we could get 10 great companies to, that we could select through our applicant pool, and invest in them, we're not doing any of them a favor if we're investing in them and can't get them follow-on funding on the back end. And and so we wanted to be very deliberate about how do we increase the, the percentage of companies that go on to raise meaningful follow-on funding. And for us, it was this concierge approach. So again, going only with, with five startups at a time. Uh, we continue to operate that core model. What we, That's our epitomously named program that we call it Generator. So Generator it means two things. Generator is the umbrella of our whole company. Generator is also the name of our flagship accelerator program where where we are investing $100,000 in exchange for equity. In addition, uh, we started a pre-accelerator program. So we have a a, a series of programs called G-Beta. So think of that as Generator Beta. It's a free, free meaning we don't charge any fees, we don't take any equity, and we're not investing. Uh, And truncated. So it's a shorter, it's a seven-week version instead of 12 weeks of our traditional generator programming. Um, today, between those two arms, our flagship generator arm, uh, which also includes some, we've also created some industry-specific accelerators. We partner with uh, Allianz Life and Securian Financial to do an insurance accelerator. We partner with ECMC Group to do an education and workforce innovation accelerator. We partner with Sarah Ventures and the University of Illinois in Champaign to do a egg tech accelerator. Um, uh, and then we also have partnerships with The Brandery, which is a merger that we had. So we operate The Brandery Accelerator in Cincinnati. And then Nmotion. So we operate the Nmotion Accelerator in Lincoln, Nebraska. So all those fit into our flagship umbrella. Uh, we then have our G-Beta program. So between those two, on an annual basis, we're running 
more than 45 unique accelerator programs per year. And we'll be working with more than 200 startups uh, through those different accelerator programs. In terms of geography, we started with just Generator in both Milwaukee and Madison. We now operate our accelerator programs across 24 cities. We're in 13 states and provinces and, and two countries, so both the U.S. and Canada uh, with that footprint. Um, we're able to accomplish that with a team of uh, we're up to 65 full-time employees uh, that span kind of that whole network of companies. So we've, we feel really good about th those companies. We try to be very outcome-driven. Anyone can go to generator.com slash statistics. We publish all of our data, including uh, portfolio demographics, things like race, gender, ethnicity, immigration status, veteran status, et cetera, of our portfolio. It's something we've been very adamant about since 2016, and we hope that other investors would, would follow suit and, and publish their own data. Um, and so that's the accelerator side of our business. We then challenged ourselves about two years ago to say, how can we expand on the definition of what is an entrepreneur? And uh, we stumbled upon artists and musicians as a category of entrepreneur that was particularly underserved. And so most often in any given community in America, it, it's it's filled with nonprofits that are supporting the arts. And there's very little of like a capitalist driven or accelerator type model for artists and musicians. And so we said, what if we could take the accelerator model, which, which in our opinion has been very successful for, for tech startups and apply that to a different type of entrepreneur, in this case, artists and musicians. And, and so we did that. So today we have two programs, one called Generator Art for visual artists, the other called Generator Music for uh, musicians and bands. And we operate those programs in Milwaukee, uh, Cleveland, as well as Detroit. And in Detroit, we have this really cool partnership with Motown Records. So it's actually called the Motown Accelerator, uh, Motown Records, the Motown Museum, the Gordy Family, Tech Town Detroit, uh, Universal Music Group, Capitol Records are all involved in that program, uh, which is pretty cool for us to, to be a part of. So that's on the artist and art and music front. And then lastly, we run a lot of uh, business around corporate engagement, helping corporations create and mature their corporate venture capital and corporate innovation practices. So we have a peer-to-peer -peer networking group called Project North. We work under contract with more than 50 member corporations, ranging from uh, American Family Insurance to Rockwell Automation to Schneider Trucking to State Farm Insurance. So a real diverse mix of corporations within that group. Um, and, and then through that, we also put on an, an event series, a conference series called OnRamp. And so the, the structure of OnRamp is to connect corporations and startups for mutual benefit. So the typical format is we, during normal times, we rent out a sports stadium and we should do this in Tampa. I think this would be awesome. Uh, we rent out a sports stadium at the sports stadium. Each corporation gets their own suite or luxury box and then startups apply for the free opportunity to pitch them one-on-one. -on -one. So we do this in insurance, education, workforce innovation, agriculture, manufacturing, healthcare, impact, entertainment, um, a host of verticals where we, where we run that on-ramp conference series, which has been pretty fun for us. So that's that's Generator in a nutshell. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> it's it's incredible how successful you've been. Thank you. And I mean, we, we work hard at it, so um, and we have fun doing it, I got to say. Yeah, no, that's incredible. What is it about Madison? Because there's uh, another entrepreneur that uh, I've been connected with, Scott Resnick, yeah. at Starting Block. And uh, what is it about Madison that has this kind of entrepreneurship spirit and all of these uh, initiatives that have come out of Madison? Oh, Madison's so great. You know, it's just such a city on the rise. You know, the, the population growth is tremendous. When you just look at 
you know, and that's manifested in the real estate development that you see going on in the downtown and throughout the city. Uh, it has such it has two great anchor anchors. You know, one is state government; it's the state capital of Wisconsin. The second is the University of Wisconsin, which which has over 40,000 40, students enrolled. And so, what's so unique about these college towns or kind of these these you know um, what do they call it town and gown, uh, where it's both kind of uh, government and and university, is you get the, this constant magnet, this constant merry-go-round of of smart, diverse people that are constantly coming through the doors. So I don't want to sit here and say, oh, the University of Wisconsin itself has some magical pixie dust that they sprinkle, but the University of Wisconsin is a conduit, is a magnet that's bringing these people through its doors. And by happenstance, you know, these people are colliding, connecting, and good things happen from that. And so, you know, on a relative or per capita basis, when when I compare Madison, both empirically and anecdotally, to a lot of surrounding markets, I think it punches way above its weight class in terms of the number of startups, the amount of financing being raised, uh, et cetera. And so it's just this really cool vibe. It's, 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 it's very laid back, but yet very accessible. Um, travel is phenomenal. It's the, it's the headquarter of Epic, Epic Systems, a, a medical records company, EHR company. Uh, and so there's just a tremendous amount of direct flights, increasing number of direct flights that you can get to and from Madison, uh, thanks to the Epic headquarters. And so there's just it's kind of this unique wrinkle in time, and, and Madison's really having a, a growth story right now, and and I think it'll continue. The conditions are very much ripe for more startup activity in Madison. Absolutely. Let me ask you a question around uh, breaking down barriers, and let me try to uh, showcase this from the lens of startups that grow and scale versus what we would call lifestyle businesses or main street businesses, brick and mortar businesses. Yeah. At the end of the day we define entrepreneurship as wealth creation. And while some of these more traditional businesses might not have the scale or this rapid growth, how do you see the work that Generator is doing to further the cost of entrepreneurship, uh, given that I assume a lot of your companies are vetted to see if there is scale? You bet. So the co- the core of our generator work is with you know what we consider high growth or venture backable, or, or at least the potential to be venture backable businesses. But the unfortunate reality is that, you know, 79% or I've even heard the numbers gone up to over 80% of venture capital goes to just three states, California, New York, Massachusetts. And if you were to go a layer deeper, it's something like 75% of venture capital goes to 15 zip codes, right? Which is crazy. Like if there was any other sort of financing, mortgages, car loans, small business loans, lines of credit that only went to, you know, 80% only went to three states. As a citizenry, we, we, you know, we the people, we would be up in arms about that kind of uh, discrimination going on. Uh, and yet um, that's what happens in venture capital. And yet venture capital is one of the most efficient asset classes in the history of humankind. And so if, tw- if, if you know, 47 of the 50 states in America can't access venture capital in a meaningful way, we have a real problem in terms of the growth engine of our country. And so our focus at Generator has always very much been on secondary and tertiary markets. We don't operate any uh, of our flagship programs in a top 10 metro market. You know, we've been nationally ranked amongst the top 15 accelerators in the country for the last four years. All of them in the top 15 operate or run programs in, you know, Silicon Valley, New York, LA, Chicago. We're not, we're not in any of those markets. So we take a lot of pride in, in, in working with these this middle of the country. Um, but we need to be we need to be deliberate about viewing venture capital activity through the lens of, of race, place, and gender. And that's a line, that's a phrase I got from Gene Case, 
in her book. So viewing everything through race, place, and gender. It's why we publish all of our statistics because you know our mission is we want to be the best partner for a community to invest in its best and brightest. And if you are a kid by happenstance of being born in one of those states that isn't California, New York, and Massachusetts, or you don't have the, the mobility to, to relocate to one of those states, how do we provide you some opportunity? And, and that's what we hope that we provide a generator. Now, to your point, David, that is we're still filtering for those high-tech, high high-growth businesses uh, to go through our programs. Where we've expanded beyond that, though, is in art and music, for one. So expanding this definition of what is an entrepreneur. Uh, and then secondly, at the peak of COVID, we rolled out something called the Emergency Response Program, where you know we saw all these small businesses, the, you know these these Main Street businesses, these lifestyle businesses struggling with the with the the quarantines and the health conditions, et cetera. And so we retrained all of our staff who had some extra bandwidth at the time to set up webinars and one-on-one free consulting. And we helped over five thousand small businesses over the course of three months navigate you know federal and state programs everything from ppp to again state level economic development organization type uh, grant opportunities funding opportunities etc and i and i take a lot of pride in our team and having been been able to do that because at the end of the day our skill set is not you know certainly it is high, high growth venture backable but at the same time it's about being resourceful how can we provide resources and advice and frankly some of it is just a shoulder to cry on or helping someone validate their own thoughts um, and that's true of any type of business owner. I don't care if you're a, a, a rapper, an EDM artist, a painter, uh, a, a boutique owner, a coffee shop owner, a B2B SaaS company, a medical device company, kind of you name it. I think those core truths about navigating and finding resources are helpful across the board. Yeah. Tell me if this question that I'm going to ask you is the correct question to ask, but where do you think the biggest impact comes from? And I'm truly just curious about this. Is it coming from these secondary and tertiary markets that have now this access to capital that can help with high growth startups? Or is it from these everyday businesses uh, in the same markets uh, where people are living and spending in, in their communities, but are trying to create just wealth for their families that might be, you know, one X or two X uh, kind of growth that just provides for their family? Yeah. Who do you think is moving the needle? And I'm sure you come across this a lot, right? Given that you have to make these hard choices where you might see a business that's really good, has a lot of great fundamentals, but just not might not be investable. You know, are you ever curious about, uh, are we making an impact in the bigger picture? And, um, and where is that impact coming from? I hear you. So one, I think, you know, perhaps I have some credibility in that I have my foot or I've had my feet in, in both sides of this. You know, I, I mentioned that story of, of starting a t-shirt company. We operate a store on the on Main on State Street, the Main Street in, in downtown Madison. Um, so I have a lot of experience in that, you know, you know, single member LLC retail environment, right? On the generator side, it's totally different. We do work with these high growth venture backable companies. You know, we've our companies have raised more than half a billion dollars in follow-on funding. But what so I don't necessarily have an opinion about we should focus on one or the other. We need to focus on both. But what I will say is I think we need to be deliberate about what lane we're talking about when we're talking about it. So if we're evaluating a program or a, or a, an initiative or a policy, let's make let's make it clear how we're defining these words, business versus startup versus, you know, et cetera. Because sometimes I think they can, these are terms of art for, for those, the insiders. And sometimes I think they can be confused either by politicians or media, et cetera. So I think it's important to a, define what we're talking about. If we're talking about high growth, high tech, high venture or venture backable, 
I think we have to look at everyone kind of debates. Well, what should we be measuring? I think we have to measure amount of venture capital raised by those companies. I think too often we look at, well, what about the amount on, you know, AUM for venture funds in your state or in your community? You know, too often when I hear those arguments, yes, we want more AUM, but more than anything, I want venture capital flowing into startups in my community. So the purest metric that I've been able to see, and I'm willing to, to, to be wrong or debate this, the purest metric that I've been able to see is amount of venture capital going into your into startups within your community, however you want to define that, municipal level, state level, regional level, et cetera. And to give like an illustrative example, in 2020, you know, PitchBook is one example of a third-party database that that measures this activity. I think in 2020, Wisconsin did about 235 million in venture capital raised by its startups. Our neighbor, Minnesota, which is very similar in terms of population, et cetera, they did over a billion dollars, I think 1.25 billion in venture capital. So they're basically 5x the amount of, of venture capital being injected into that state. And yet their household income has grown and outpaced that of Wisconsin's. Now, I don't want to make that a one-to-one correlation, but there has to be some degree of correlation or some degree of causation. Because if one state gets a billion dollars more in a year than the neighboring state, of course, you're going to see a rise in household income. Of course, you're going to see more jobs created, et cetera. And so I think our challenge is how can we best import or or reinvest into ourselves via the mechanism of, of venture capital? And that's what that that's what I've been focused on. That's a large thrust behind what generators focusing on. Wow, this is such a fascinating conversation. I feel like this is like two podcasts worth of conversation here because we do work in Minnesota as well. And what we've seen is the influx of capital coming from these big corporations, right? 3M, Best Buy, Target, yeah. et cetera. And their investment back into the community, first philanthropy uh, for philanthropy, but then also using them as ways to incubate ideas and get uh, a way to outsource or crowdsource their, uh, their idea uh, generation. Uh, right, and the the direct impact that has to versus having an R and D center where you're pouring in millions of dollars to keep people at jobs versus kind of sourcing these ideas from the general public. So I'm sure there's lots to unpack there, but let me shift focus uh, and talk a little bit about the two things that we've seen uh, entrepreneurs need most are of course access to capital, but close second is technical assistance. Right, you can't have one without the other, and probably generator is one of the biggest reasons, uh, a biggest uh, kind of proof of that is that you can't just give people money. You also have to kind of teach them the mechanics of how you can start a scalable business. And a lot of this can be taught, right? Like, I don't believe entrepreneurs are born. We kind of learn these skills by failing and, and trying. What, in your opinion, needs to happen to kind of further uh, create uh, pathways for underrepresented communities to have access to both capital and technical assistance, because what we're finding across the country is there's still a huge gap uh, in terms of who's getting this money and who's getting access to these tools. Yes, there is a huge gap. Yeah, I mean, the statistic is, you know, less than 10% of venture capital dollars go to women, minority, LGBTQ, you name, you know, founded startups, less than 1% goes to black founders. You know, let's focus on that on, on that as an, as an anecdotal example. It's terrible. You know, this this lack of distribution is terrible. It's discriminatory in, in many respects, whether it's deliberate, structural, you name it. It's, it's all of the above is the reality. And um, how do we change it? You know, I like the question. I think one, as actors in the venture capital industry, and, and by that, I mean, it's accelerators, it's economic 
support organizations, it's ecosystem builders, it's angel investors, it's angel groups, it's VCs, it's corporate VCs, it's family offices, and it's institutional LPs. It's anyone in that venture capital stack, I think, needs to think critically and deliberately about where their money is ultimately going, where it's being invested. And, you know, great line that I hear popping up more and more and more and more is, you know, if, if I'm an underrepresented founder, I'm over-mentored and underfunded. You know, we don't need another program that's like, oh, we're going to give more mentorship to you. What we need is that, you know, this trillion dollar venture capital industry to start putting more dollars in your business. Um, you know, one example, we partnered recently with Northwestern Mutual, who I give a ton of credit for taking this direct action. They announced a $20 million allocation in their corporate venture fund exclusively for black founders. They had previously done the same thing exclusively for female founders. They then partnered with Generator and were operating what's known as the Northwestern Mutual Black Founder Accelerator uh, in Milwaukee. So twice a year, we're going to be investing 100K into each of five startups. So 10 startups per year, 100K each startup. We're investing on their existing terms. We're not taking you know premium amount of equity. But I think this is an example of we can't just talk the talk. We need to we need to walk the walk. We need to put our money where our mouth is. And so if you're anyone that's managing money, if you're not thinking deliberately about investing dollars on an increasing basis from where you are currently into underrepresented founders, you're completely doing it wrong. And But this needs to cascade. When we raised our most recent fund, David, we were asked more times about what would happen if our office in Milwaukee, Wisconsin was hit by a hurricane than, what, than the diversity of our portfolio by institutional investors. And I think that's sad. And I think it doesn't reflect the modern world that where diversity is a strength and something that we should lean into. And, and so if I had two pieces of advice, it'd be A, if you're anywhere in the stack, all the way from institutional LP down to angel investor, A, publish your diversity statistics. Publish the statistics of your team, publish the statistics of your portfolio. And depending on where those numbers lie, spoiler alert, I guarantee you they're gonna be shitty. Invest more into those underrepresented founders going forward. So investors love money. I teach entrepreneurship and I tell people, if you're looking to raise money, be ready for that person to move into your house. Because if I'm an investor, I stay an investor by making more of the money I have. With that being said, how can I, and these investors, I'm assuming are really smart people. How can I use data to convince people that there's actually strength and diversity? Because it's one thing to say it, are there statistics that prove that when you have diverse founders, you have better return on investment? And why isn't that the basis of these conversations? Because uh, it's one thing to tell them to do the right thing. It's a lot easier to tell them to do the right thing if you show them that it actually benefits them in the long run, which I'm a huge believer in. I say, and people try to correct me, I say, if you want to increase the strength of your team, simply hire people who talk and look different from you. Uh, and that itself is magical. And people say, well, but you'd also need to you know, make sure they're qualified, et cetera. But if you don't actually open those pathways, you're never going to be able to see the impact they make. So are there statistics you publish or uh, kind of data that you use to help these institutional investors understand that actually investing in diverse founders improves their return? Yes. I, I'm ashamed I don't have it off the top of my head. But what I will say is, you know, there's groups out there, Backstage Capital, Lightship Capital, um, Harlem Capital, that have done a lot of the heavy lifting, a lot of the research and work in this area. But I know that they have statistics that point to superior returns by investing in these underrepresented founders. Now, that being said, you know, let me lob a criticism at that. Well, or a potential criticism. Well, that's just a limited data set. So who knows? 
Well, that's the problem. You know, you, you can't prove a net, you, you know, you can't prove a negative. So if we've never invested in a black founder, in a Latina, in a LGBTQ founder, in a female founder, and trust me, there's many venture funds that the answer to those questions would be no, 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 and no. If we've never done it, we can't even run the numbers to find out, much less on a longitudinal basis. So yes, there are statistics that I've read and looked and researched that point to better investment returns across a diverse portfolio, diversity defined as demographics of founders. Uh, however, I still think we're in our infancy because those founders have been so underrepresented for you know decades on end. But I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic that in the same vein that you know HR analysis you know, to use your hiring example, has proven that diverse teams have better outcomes, more productive outcomes. I think the same will be true in venture capital. We also need to... I'm willing to bet on that, literally. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think it's it's that we don't lead with that sometimes. And like you said, it's a chicken or egg, right? If you don't have that, you don't have the data to prove it. But I feel like leading with that is probably the best argument to say you need to invest more in diversity. Now, there's also in the same supply chain, actually problems uh, even uh, earlier in the process where some of our uh, schools and universities don't teach entrepreneurship as a path to prosperity and wealth creation and breaking down these generations of uh, poverty. How do we kind of fix the supply chain so that there are more diverse founders looking at this? And again, maybe the chicken egg problem because they don't see capital and they don't see uh, true uh, investment into their ideas. But I feel like we need to address also, do diverse founders look at uh, starting businesses as a path to uh, success? Like, do you see overwhelming uh, applications from diverse founders? We do. I mean, they're out there. You know, this this whole, like, pipeline excuse is is just that. It's an excuse. Diverse founders are out there. You know, we just had our... our our Northwestern Mutual Black Founder Accelerator, we had more than 600 applications for that program, all just from black founders, right? And all within a certain set of, you know, basically fintech and tech and digital health. So they're, they're out there. So I never buy the excuse that, that this is a pipeline problem. That being said, we want to increase the pipeline. Don't get me wrong. We need more role models. We need more founders. So, so if I'm an entrepreneur and I can say, hey, that's someone that looks like me. If I'm an coming from an underrepresented background, hey, that's someone that looks like me who's started a business, who's gotten customers, who's grown their revenue, who's raised venture capital, who's, sold, who's gotten their company acquired, who's exited, and now is redistributing that wealth and knowledge that they've created back into the ecosystem. We need more role models like that. We're starting to get there, but it, we're, we're way behind. So we need more role models. On the more granular like education level, you know, the only kind of point I, I would try to make is I think we need we definitely need more computer science education at, at the at the K-12 level. You know, I think it's in Wisconsin, it's less than 50 percent of high schools have any computer science class. And that's crazy. You know, you know, up until recently, I think more high schools taught German than computer science. Uh, again, that's crazy when, when we think about where the world is going. And so any initiatives like uh, Microsoft's Teals program, code.org, you know, a host of other programs that are bringing computer science education at the K-12 level, we are completely in support of. We need more of that because the sooner we can expose young people across all geographies, across all races, across all genders to computer science education, and, and more importantly, computational thinking, let's call it, uh, the more success I think we'll have on the entrepreneurial front. Yep. So, so what's next for Generator? What, where do you see yourselves, you know, five years, ten years from now? You just are so successful that I'm curious. What's the next big thing for you all? 
I, I go back to our mission. You know, Generator's mission is we want to be the best partner for a community to invest in its best and brightest. You know, nine years ago when we started, that definition didn't include musicians. It didn't include corporations. It didn't include artists. It didn't include un and underemployed individuals with our upskilling program. It didn't include any of that. So I, I struggle to predict where the path will go. But it, what I am confident in is that we will continue to grow. We will continue to make an impact on entrepreneurs, startups, and every everyone else in our value chain. I'm confident that we'll plan and expand into new product lines that we can't even envision or imagine today, um, but that yet tie back to our mission. And I'm confident that we'll continue to grow in terms of geography. You know, today we're in 24 cities. By the end, of, you know, five years from now, would I love to double that? Absolutely. I'd love to triple that within five years. So last question, uh, and I can't believe we've gone through a whole half hour so fast. Uh, how can people find more about Generator? You had mentioned the website, but if a founder is listening to this or if somebody who would like to bring Generator into the community, yeah. how can they find you and connect with you? Hit us up online, generator.com. That's spelled G-E-N-E-R, the number eight, T-O-R.com. And, or just reach out to me. It's Troy, T-R-O-Y, at generator.com. That's G-E-N-E-R, the number eight, T-O-R.com. And we'd love to bring our program to your city. We'd love to partner with you if you're an investor or a corporation. If you're a startup, we'd love for you to apply to one of our programs. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Troy, for your time. We will add some of this in the show notes so people can go directly and click through the links to connect with you. But it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. And we're uh, very excited for the journey generators on and we continue and we will look to continue to follow the journey um, through social media and through the work you're doing. Thanks, David. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Polgraj. Special thanks to Troy Vassiler. Cover art by show manager and creative director Mackenzie Dial Fritcher. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.